Welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. This is our series podcast on the podcast feed where we have reached the final destination to destroy the one ring that rules them all. But before we get to that, I must introduce my guest this week. He is the Sam to my Frodo, Chris Davis. How are you doing today, brother? Doing pretty well, man. Uh, been doing some work outside and uh, trying to get my grill patio together in preparation for the holidays. So I'm excited to talk about Lord of the Rings. I uh, enjoyed doing the rewatch. It was my first time watching the extended edition, so I really enjoyed the additions they made besides the 45-minute um, <laughs> ending that they had. But besides that, it was all great. <laughs> good, good. Uh, yeah, I cannot wait to uh, visit uh, North Carolina and come see the patio. But, you know, growing up, Lord of the Rings, it was it was huge for us. Uh, we kind of came into it late, but by the end and by the time we got to Return of the King and when that came out, we were incredibly, you know, excited and, and we were huge fans. We collected the action figures. We did all that stuff. So with that said, Chris, what does Lord of the Rings mean to you? Well, I just remember how excited you were. I remember watching eight, I think it was eight crazy nights and I was like laying on the couch and you're like, Hey, I really want to go see Return of the King. And I was like, I really don't want to see it tonight. And then dad just like shot that down. I was like, no, I'm not going, but I'll drop y'all off. And so me and you ended up (laughs) going and uh, I think it was the old car mic and, and seeing it and, um, I mean, Lord of the Rings is kind of is a special movie. Um, probably my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes of all time is the actual one from uh, The Fellowship when Gandalf is talking about, um, and he's having that conversation with Frodo about, um, you know, difficult times and living and seeing difficult times. And he, Gandalf said something really profound about, you know, you can't choose the times you live in. You just have to decide what to do with the time that you're given. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a really profound quote, especially um, with everything going on and kind of the crazy world we live in and how difficult it can be. And um, I think Lord of the Rings has some really profound messages and uh, written within all three, uh, you know, all the books, you know, whether it's The Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then I think obviously the movies shine, shine a lot on those as well. Yeah, it's it, whenever I, I think about Lord of the Rings, I, I think about us watching it growing up. But like you said, the profound messages that are in Lord of the Rings that, you know, growing up, I didn't really realize how big of an impact Lord of the Rings had on me and and the kind of stuff that, you know, I would gravitate towards because of the profound effect Lord of the Rings had on me. It's a very pessimistically optimistic series, and I think that's what I cling to the most. Um, about it and that's why it's i count the trilogy as one movie and it's it's my third favorite movie of all time but right behind fight club and then of course the the skywalker saga which is a huge cheat it's nine movies i get it but whatever well it's one story i guess you can say other than the sequel trilogy Uh (laughs) oh god (laughs) but like I said, we have finally reached the the end of our journey. It is now time to talk about what I think is the greatest movie to ever win Best Picture at the Academy Awards, 
Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, much like the previous weeks, we'll be discussing the extended editions. Uh, This is a film directed by Peter Jackson and starring Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Reese davies Bernard Hill, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, Randa Otto, David Winham, Carl Urban, John Noble is actually in this one. He's not in the previous. Well, he actually is in the Two Towers, I think, in the extended edition. Uh, Andy Serkis, Ian Holm, and Sean Bean. Huge cast. If you aren't familiar with uh, Return of the King, the plot synopsis reads like such according to uh, to Google. The culmination of nearly 10 years' work and conclusion to Peter Jackson's epic trilogy based on the timeless J.R.R. Tolkien classic, Lord of the Rings Return of the King presents the final confrontation between the forces of good and evil fighting for control of the future of Middle-earth. Hobbits Frodo and Sam reach Mordor in their quest to destroy the One Ring, while Aragorn leads the forces of good against Sauron's evil army in the stone city of Minas Tirith. Uh, the word epic doesn't really do this film justice. The extended edition of this movie clocks in at 4 hours and 23 minutes, and the theatrical is 3 hours and 30. That's a huge runtime, but for concluding chapters like this, it almost feels necessary for the length. This has a lot of, of ground to cover. Not only did it have to conclude the journey we started, but it had to do so in a satisfying way that would wrap up all these loose threads that were left hanging in the previous chapters. While, you know, simply, you know, just being as good as the first two films, which is a high bar. Those are both incredible films. So, Chris, when was the first time you saw Lord of the Rings Return of the King, and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? It's very similar to my story (laughs) the first time we saw this movie. You kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. Well, I remember just seeing it, and um, obviously, you know, the battle scenes are just so sweeping, and, you know, there's, um, I think that's my favorite thing about the extended edition is it adds a lot to those, and it adds some context to them. Uh, helps them make more sense. Um, but I think just you know, the first time you saw it, obviously, like, it's just, you know, it's tying everything together. And, I mean, I enjoy watching it now as much. Now, it's not a movie I'm going to sit down and watch the whole thing. Um, I, I try to, you know, I, I watch probably all the Star Wars and all the Lord of the Rings movies probably once a year just to just to do it and i'll do a an in order rewatch i used to do the same thing with the mcu but those movies have gotten so long i can't go through the whole the whole uh the whole series and one it's a task and a half i tell you that much i did it this summer it's hard (laughs) but you know i think this you know it's it's really good rewatch there's certain scenes that you know when you see them i'm gonna sit there and watch them like when i'm like if i'm like if it's on tv or um, if someone's playing, I'm going to sit down and watch, um, you know, some of the scenes we'll talk about later. I'm going to watch the whole thing. Um, and there's certain scenes that, you know, we'll talk about later too, that I laugh every single time I see them or, um, or, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's really emotional. So, 
that's the thing about Lord of the Rings. You know, it's an epic story, and the best stories are ones you can go back to over and over again, and they take you back to that place you were. I'm still that that kid sitting in the movie theater beside my brother, pigging down on popcorn for three and a half hours on a school night watching this movie. So um, it kind of takes me back to that point in time, and that's one of the best things about it. Yeah, yeah. This movie, it's, it's a special movie. And the first time I saw this movie, was it was in the theater with you, and I will say it, it took much like you were saying, it took some convincing to get you to take me and some persuasion from dad. I remember us, like you said, watching eight crazy nights and finally you going, all right, let's go again from some persuasion from dad. And it was a special movie going experience because this was really like the first time that we, I was in the theater without like an adult present. Like it was the, and it was also the first time we had seen Lord of the Rings on the big screen too, you know, and the trailers that played before were great for nine year old me. I think it was like Chronicles of Riddick and the walking tall trailer, which me at 10 years old, that is the end all be all right there. But the movie itself was beyond what I could even prepare for, you know, for three hours and, and 30 minutes, you and I, we, we didn't move. We, I don't think we went to the restroom. Like we were locked in pigging out on popcorn and our, and our large drink. And in fact, if I remember correctly, I think I might've brought my Frodo action figure, my Frodo and Gollum action figures with me to the theater. I hit them in my jacket, but yeah. Yeah, I remember that uh, you, you had him in the jacket because, you know, it came out in December. So, you know, you're you're bundling up, going to the movies. And we knew like whenever it got out, like obviously it was like after 10 o'clock. So you're going to be, um, you know, cold, yeah, cold and hanging out waiting. So, yeah. And I, I remember Return of the King, it, it simply it blew my mind when I saw it. It is single handedly the reason for my obsession with the Academy Awards with, you know, with it winning literally every single thing it was nominated for. And I was I was so lit when it pulled that off because no movie was able or no movie at the time was really able to do a clean, uh, clean sweep. There had been there's I think there's two other films that have won as many Academy Awards, but not been able to do the clean sweep, if I remember correctly. But it's still one of my favorite uh, theater experiences ever. And that's always what my mind goes back to. You know, when you, you brush aside all the awards and accolades, the special thing we, we take away from movies is the shared experiences we have with the people while we're watching them, you know. I watch this movie now, and this film hits differently on an emotional level. The Fellowship of the Ring deals with loss of innocence, hope, and embracing the journey that life puts before you. Two Towers deals with uh, the same stuff, but it really focuses in on fate um, uh, of dealing with hope in the face of utter darkness and overcoming uh, and succumbing to depression and doubt. Uh, Return of the King also deals with that same stuff, but it really focuses in on embracing responsibility, courage, and ultimately death. You know, not in the way that most people view it, but as only Lord of the Rings can do in this pessimistically optimistic way. You know, death is a natural part of life and is just the next chapter. And as Gandalf says, one that we all 
must take. It's such a beautiful outlook on life and death, and it always hits me right in the heart every time I watch this movie. And I think this that's why this series and, and this movie is is so great. You know, it's also personally why I consider this to be the best movie to ever win Best Picture, which is a bold statement, but I stand by it. This movie is incredibly satisfying. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, you you hit the nail on the head where the messages and all the movies, um, it's conveying different thoughts about life. And, you know, it's almost, you know, it's almost a coming of age tale, like when you're reading it as a, a kid and you think about you know the different uh themes that they're you know telling you about you know death is not you know it's not something um you know you should necessarily fear it's a journey everyone has to go down and and explaining that in kind of a mature way um and you know it's the same thing like you have this this not really pessimistic view but just the you know, very blunt way of looking at things, but then it's optimistic and trying to paint it in a beautiful picture of like, you know, that's just a journey. Everyone goes down. Um, and even in the face of darkness, you know, you have to, to keep moving forward. And I think it, um, it's a great message. And I think that's the reason it's a, a movie and a series of books that stands the test of time. Yeah. These books and movies are, are really timeless. I, I tell you what, doing a rewatch of the series and really diving deep into what I really respond to has been a lot of fun, but it's also made me really want to to dive headfirst into the books. I have become an, a reader the older I get, and the more I uh, I, I I dive into this this series, the more I, I really want to read the books. Of course, I probably am going to read Harry Potter first, just because Zoe's coming, but. I'm I'm definitely going to read Lord of the Rings at some point in time, for sure. But, you know, this movie didn't just um, hit us both. It hit pretty much everyone the same way. Like, it, it has a very, very high Rotten Tomatoes score. Uh, currently sits at 93%, with a consensus being visually breathtaking and emotionally powerful. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King is a moving and satisfying conclusion to a great trilogy. And much like last week, where I really responded to the overall consensus, the first time like I've, I've read a Rotten Tomatoes consensus and gone, yep, that's exactly how I feel. This is very similar to that. I feel very much in line with the general consensus on this movie. Uh, it should be noted uh, 93 is the second highest score for uh, Lord of the Rings. Two Towers has the highest with 95 and then Fellowship at 91. So, Chris, do you agree with this score? I would say so. I mean, I think um, the consensus of it being visually breathtaking, emotionally powerful, um, I think that's true. Uh, I think where it falls in line in terms of um, the Two Towers being at 95 um, there's something about the two towers that's super rewatchable. And I think when you sit back and just like the courage and you, you like all this hope, is it fading? And then them just refusing basically to give up. We're not going to give up. And the two towers is a, a turning point because things are looking very bleak. Um, and yeah, I really enjoy that one more probably because the, the, I mean, the huge, I mean, epic battle scene in two towers is, is all awesome. deep. Yeah. yeah, the Battle of Helm's Deep is just um, 
just awesome to watch. And like, that's like something like I, there's probably four or five times where I've just watched that, where I've like come in, it's like all oh, the battle of Helm's deep is starting. And you're like, all right, I'm sitting here. I'm gonna watch this. Um, you know, and the charge out, you know, uh, there at the end, it's, um, you know, two towers is awesome. Uh, but then you see this and it's like, yeah, this makes sense. I think it's as good as the two towers, but there's something about the two towers that speaks to you, uh, that, you know, like, especially someone like me, I love action movies that are like, it's, it's going to be maybe a little bit higher, but, um, they're all pretty comparable, uh, to me. Like, I, I think, you know, it's an easy A looking at it mm -hmm. when you're grading it. Uh, and you can see where yeah. you know, people are going to feel that way. I think, you know, for me, if all these movies, they go hand in hand with one another. I, I, it's hard for me to pick which one I, I, I like the most. I think Two Towers I watched the most because it was, like I said last week, I rented it on pay-per-view and recorded it. And I watched it almost every day, not every day, but almost every day on the lead up to Return of the King. So it's probably the one I've watched the most, but post Return of the King, Return of the King is definitely the one I've, I've revisited the most because there's something about a satisfying conclusion, like an ending that I, I really, really love. And, you know, it's something that I, I really respond to. And it set a high bar for, in my, for, in my opinion, a lot of these other series that are supposedly having endings, it's hard to top what Return of the Kings did in terms of it being satisfying. I think only two things have, have came close. I, I I don't think Endgame to me is as great as a movie as Return of the King, but it is as satisfying in the way that it ended. And I think Zack Snyder's Justice League trilogy is as satisfying and almost as good. But I still, there's something about the ending of Return of the King that just, there's so many emotional moments in in this movie in particular that I just really, really respond to and almost burst into tears every time I watch it. There, there are certain scenes that we'll, we'll get into. In fact, this movie has what I consider to be the, the best scene in, in all of movie history for me. Um, that it, it's almost like a Pavlovian, Pavlovian response where I just, I cry every time I see it. Um, and we'll, we'll get to it later, but this movie definitely, if I had to give it my own Rotten Tomatoes score, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say it's a hundred percent. Like I, I love this movie. I, I really do. I think this movie's flawless. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think this is a perfect ending. Um, the only two series that I've ever watched that I'm like, yeah, this ending is as satisfying as Nolan's uh, Dark Knight trilogy and in game where you feel very satisfied and you you leave like i don't know like you leave the theater or the either you're watching it you know and you're rewatching you're like yeah you know and you just feel good after rewatching it um yeah. and so um then you feel like there's no no loose ends you just kind of feel like okay this is this is the story and that that world is left in a better place basically yeah and and honestly it's I know it's not popular to say. It's why I, I try not to say it as much, which I, I, I should say it because it's my opinion. Movies are subjective. But Rise of Skywalker had that same effect on me. I, I felt like it ended on like the perfect note and it, it, it tied everything together. Um, 
I don't mention it as much, but I, I should. I should. And I I will eventually at some point do a deep dive on that series. But until then, we're going to continue on with Lord of the Rings and we're going to move into fun facts. And I have a bunch here. Uh, to get enough extras for the Battle of Blackgate, a few hundred members of New Zealand Army were brought in. They apparently were so enthusiastic during the battle scenes, they kept breaking the wooden swords and spears they were given. Uh, that would have been me. <laughs> breaking all the wooden swords and, and spears and everything like that. That's that's pretty cool. They actually got New Zealand's army. Yeah, that, that was that's pretty awesome. Yeah, really, really cool. The last shot of principal photography was when the newly crowned Aragorn bows to the four hobbits. Although Viggo Mortensen did not need to be on set that day, he nevertheless insisted on intending. He didn't have a crown. It wasn't necessary. He wasn't being filmed. So he fashioned one out of paper because he's he's a pretty artistic guy. If you've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff, he he really is. He's an artist. Um, with each successive take, though, the crown was becoming more ornate and sillier as the crew members kept decorating it. So the four actors playing the hobbits often had uh, difficulty suppressing their giggles, and that's something that, again, watching the behind the scenes material how much fun these these actors had like they they had so much fun and they had such a bond heck they they all have matching tattoos which is pretty cool yeah you could tell i think you know watching it that they're all you know having a good time and you don't sense any tension and i think that's part of what makes a good movie like you don't have any kind of weird rivalry or anything and they all get you know their own special story they'll have their journey within the the uh film and within the story which i think makes it you know good for everybody involved now billy boyd's singing scene largely came out of uh came about because of co-writer uh went um for the night out at the karaoke bar with the younger uh cast member and she was struck by the quality of his voice. Remembering Denethor asked Pippin to sing him a song when Faramir heads off to war, she uh, resurrected the lyrics from the novel, where it actually is sung by all four hobbits, and Boyd came up with the tune for it. That's pretty cool, because his voice is like really good. I remember being struck by that when I saw it. I was like, oh my god, Pippin can sing! Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the yeah. All, all yeah, the, the first time, um, like watching it, it's like, oh wow, this this dude's got uh, some some primo pipes. Uh, <laughs> he's, really, <laughs> he, he's really singing. He's really into this thing. Uh, so it's it's pretty. Uh, you know, he's got a great voice, and it's an interesting. It's part. It's one of those like when we were looking at scenes. You asked me to pick five. That was one. Um, that scene just Faramir riding out, and then the lyrics, and then how um Denethir is acting um just the whole thing like that was one that like when you know th- that was one of the scenes I thought about including it was kind of honorable mention but um yeah that's it's a good scene absolutely is it's a great scene Elijah Wood is noted for his ability to stare fixedly in front of him for ages without blinking 
which came very useful in the scene where Frodo is comatose and was wrapped in Shelob's web-like cocoon. That's creepy. Could you imagine being able to have like the ability to stare like that? Have like that dead stare? I would mess with people all the time. He definitely put that to good use throughout the series. Uh, <laughs> yes, there is a lot of unintentionally funny moments with with Elijah Wood that I covered on Fellowship, the Fellowship podcast, and the Two Towers. I don't feel like I have to here, <laughs> but there's a lot of unintentionally funny moments with a lot of the faces that he makes during wow. certain We'll scenes. talk about all of Gollum's unintentional funny moments later. <laughs> yeah. Um, King Theoden touching the spears of his soldiers before they uh, charge into battle was Bernard Hill's idea. And I always love it, <clears throat> but when I was a kid, I always used to think, man, they could spoof this so funny. Like, if they decided to spoof this, he would be holding his sword out and he would be cutting off the top of their spears. And they'd be like, what the hell? Like, you could spoof it pretty pretty good. But right honestly... Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right here. Not literally. What? <laughs> but yeah, that's that's actually one of my... Uh, we'll talk about that later. But that, that moment, it's really cool. Uh, yeah, the, it is. Uh, you know... It's you know obviously it's, it's a major turning point in the story, so really really cool moment. It really is. It was a, it was a great ad lib. Like it, it really is. It's good moment. The movie was originally going to end with a voiceover epilogue by Gladriel, detailing the fate of the Fellowship of the Ring after the events of the movie. Scene showing Gimli and Legolas for this purpose had been shot but were not used in any version of the finished film. And I'm kind of glad because they end the, this movie has been criticized and we'll probably get into it later for its several endings. Uh, I think this would have been a, a bit too much. I'm, I'm happy with the ending. I, I think the, I really enjoy the, the several endings because it, it's what adds to the, the, the satisfying quality to me. But, um, yeah, this, this would have been a little, felt a little tacked on, I think. I think if you do something like this, I actually could see where it could be better because I think back to the first one and she's the one that starts the movie off and she gives you the backstory and the, you know, the rings of men rings, you know, the, the elf Kings and, um, you know, so then you, you kind of get this background from her. So I think it would have been interesting you know, the eagles fly down and you see the Fellowship of the Ring together and you have that scene. And then after that, she details what happens to each of them. And she kind of tells that story and maybe it moves a little faster. Uh, and I think that kind of, you see that through line where she's telling the story. Um, and then maybe you could do an end where, you know, she, the the book gets given to, I mean, it, it is a nice ending with the book being given to Frodo. Uh, or from Frodo to Sam, but I think it would have been interesting to have that because it now and thinking about it, it almost doesn't make, oh, why is she the one telling this story at the beginning? Should Frodo have been telling the story at, at the beginning and then he passes it off to Sam there at the end? So They originally actually had him try the voiceover and it didn't really work. And then they had uh, Gandalf do it and 
Peter Jackson's reasoning for not having them do it was because, uh, or Ian McKellen as Gandalf do it. Uh, the reason that Peter Jackson didn't want them to do it was because it seemed weird that they weren't around then. So how would they know an exact detail? So he used Gladriel. Um, and it was that's that's one of the the best uh, opening scenes of any movie. Oh yeah, for sure. That's right. I think she does a great job in the voiceover. I would almost be interested in seeing like a version of the extended edition where she does that because it does. Uh, you think like Gilmy and Legolas, what happens to them um, when you watch the film? And so it would have been interesting because she would have been a perfect kind of ending there and then that's it like and she tells the story this is what happens you know they go get married you know they go back Frodo comes to the undying lands with us and then that's the ending and then they're they're sailing into the undying lands so that's um I think that would have been an interesting uh ending and you know knowing it's out there I'm sure at some point we'll see it or it'll you know maybe it's online somewhere we could find it maybe maybe at some point I'd I still need to, maybe it's on the uh, 4K uh, box set that came out. Um, maybe I could check that out if I can get my hands on one. Um, for the extended edition DVD, the scene in which Pippin is looking for Mary after the Battle of uh, Pelennor Fields, hope I'm saying that right, was digitally altered so that it appears to be night instead of day. According to Peter Jackson on the commentary track, this was done to make it appear that Pippin had been looking for several hours instead of several minutes, underlining the friendship between the two hobbits. In the original edit, because it appeared that Pippin had only been looking for a few minutes, his reaction, finding Mary, seems like he's overreacting. And I, again, on the my first watch of the extended edition of this film, I remember thinking to myself, oh my god, like, could you imagine if they put this in the theatrical version? Like he's, this is super sad and and dark. He's been looking for hours for, for his friend and finally finds him. And it kind of adds to, to the horror of, of war. You know, it's not all glory. A lot of it's really scary and, and horrifying and not being able to find essentially your brother in battle after a battle like that is that's a scary thought. And I, I think that Billy Boyd and, and Dominic Myhan really crushed it. And the added layer of it being night really adds to the, he's been looking for him for several hours instead of like the day it would have been like, Oh, he found him very quickly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, um, that was one thing I really liked. There's a lot of things with the extended edition that I thought were um, really cool um, things that like add more context to the battle. Like, and I added a lot of those in my five list, and I think this is one of them. Um, just the the added detail that you know you, you, it makes it more emotional. It also just makes more sense. Um, yeah. and there's a lot of things and it's, it's crazy to think oh, in a three hour and 30 minute movie, they needed to add more details in, but I, you really do. Um, and that's the reason, you know, when I was saying the earlier about making the ending a little bit shorter, um, 
you know, if I wanted to trim down the extended edition, I would do the Kate Blanchett voiceover, but then still keep all these little details that make it make much more sense. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. Um, although I, I, I still, I still like the, the endings, but. Sean Austin's daughter, or Sean Aston's daughter, Allie Aston, played Samwise Gamgee's daughter, Eleanor. Sarah McLeod's uh, daughter, Macy McLeod Rira, plays Sam and Rosie's son, Frodo. And I, I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's that's cool. When you were you sent me over the notes, I saw that. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah, it's very sweet. Scenes were not shot. Uh, or scenes were shot, excuse me, scenes were shot that involved Aragorn tackling a physical manifestation of Sauron one-on-one while outside the Black Gate. In the scene, Sauron would have appeared even taller than the Sauron scene at the start of the Fellowship of the Ring. Once the footage was uh, reviewed, however, it was decided that to include this scene would pervert J.R.R. Tolkien's ideas and also distracted too much from the climax of Frodo and Sam's storyline. Footage from the fight was reused in other ways. Aragorn was originally supposed to step forward to see an image of Sauron in his original elvish-like appearance. This was changed to Aragorn gazing at the eye of Sauron, beckoning to him from atop of the Tower of Barad-dûr. Aragorn's charge towards the Black Gate was to take him into a heated sword fight with a real armor-clad Sauron. A large troll was digitally imposed over the stuntman playing Sauron. The temporary work on this scene can be seen in the third disc of the extended edition DVD. This is something that I actually watched in preparation for this podcast, and it does work the, this original version, the one that's actually used, works a lot better than what they were planning to do. Because it would have distracted from the important of, importance of Frodo and Sam's story. Because at that point, all Aragorn is supposed to be doing is being a distraction. So that... Sauron isn't looking at what's really going on because this entire time it's exactly why they don't take the Eagles. This is a very, very secret and covert mission that not a lot of people really know about. And it's for that very reason why they didn't take the Eagles because they would have been seen and shot down very quickly. Uh, And also the Eagles would have been tempted by the ring because they actually speak in the books as I found out um, from Robert on the Fellowship of the Ring podcast that we did. So I like this version that they use much, much better than what they were planning on doing because I think Peter Jackson's call was right. It would have perverted a little bit of what J.R.R. Tolkien was trying to accomplish. um, Correct me if I'm wrong, in the original theatrical edition, um, doesn't he fight a troll at some point in the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and in the extended, he he fights a a troll. They digitally uh, put a troll there instead of the big uh, Sauron that he was fighting. Yeah, well, and I think it makes sense. I, I do wish they could have done a way of like I think him looking at Sauron in his elvish form, like in the vision, versus just the eye. 
I think that would have been kind of interesting and like showing like all how close he is to winning and returning to that elvish form or uh, I think that could have been kind of interesting uh, and then he snaps out of it and it's like the troll this there I think that could have been cool but um, I did like when uh, it, this the uh, the little uh, Sauron's little uh, lackey that shows up with the uh, the toothy guy uh, is what I call the him. toothy guy. Yeah, well, it's funny in the behind the scenes uh, stuff, and this actually plays right before they get into what this this fun fact is talking about. Uh, the mouth. So they originally like the idea behind it was the words that he spoke were such pure evil that it was decaying his mouth. And originally they did the slits and for some reason it didn't work as well. Like his mouth just, it didn't come across as creepy. And so they did it sideways. So it was like a mouth, but it was opening up as if it was like this, like from, from the sides. Yeah, so it's like he's flipped his mouth like on its side. Yeah. And that's how he was talking. That didn't work either. So then they went back and they just made his mouth bigger. And made it like a few inches bigger and doing that made it really creepy. (laughs) There's something off putting about it. Yeah. Just the, the the fact it was like all tooth, you know, basically it's just all these teeth and he's kind of snarling. He's kind of drooling everywhere. It's just really off putting. Um, And I think, you know, he's just really, you know, he comes in, he's flying in like he's pitching like a hundred miles an hour um just coming into this scene like just like saying like the most hurtful things to each of them individually and finally yeah aragorn just is like okay enough this dude and cuts his head off it's like yeah, yeah. i'm not listening to this guy um, he's like he suffered gandalf he did and he did he's he's like oh and i see your and he starts trying to talk shit to, to aragorn aragorn's like okay cuts his head off it's like i will not hear it cannot it's yeah. awesome yeah he goes in and he's he's obviously uh yeah super irritated <laughs> and it's like yeah let's go we're gonna do this battle forget what the dude said uh and so I, I like that i thought it added um again it added some more levity like versus in the original theatrical they just kind of come out uh and yeah. aragorn just charges Versus, like, there, there is a little bit of a negotiation, which makes sense. Like, you're not just going to go in. They're not just going to launch their, their forces out. Uh, Sauron's going to be curious, like, okay, why are they doing this? Hey, what's going on right here? Um, well, it's the Gimli's line, and that concludes negotiations. Like, all right, it's done. Yeah. Wasn't much of a negotiation. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like the way that the scene ended up being, I I liked it because it puts the importance on Frodo and Sam, which is where it should be. Um, It has the highest perfect score at the Academy Awards with 11 wins out of 11 nominations. And those wins are best picture, best director, best original song, which is into the West is an incredible song. Uh, best visual effects, best original score, best adapted screenplay, 
best production design, best sound mixing, best costume design, best makeup and hairstyle, and best film editing at the 2004 ceremony for the films of 2003. Uh, The other Best Picture nominees that year were Master and Commander, uh, The Far Side of the World, Seabiscuit, Mystic River, and Lost in Translation. So that was, 2003 is a really underrated movie year. And that, uh, that, that is a, that is a who's who of best picture nominations. Those are all great films. I say, what else came out for, um, movies in, in, uh, 2003? And what you had Finding Nemo, Parts of the Caribbean, The Matrix, Reloaded and Revolutions, Bruce Almighty, a bunch of other movies. See, Love Actually, that's always a popular film. Elf came out in yeah. 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, Old School, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Classic movie year, I think. Um, yeah, they, it seems like there's a lot. Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean. Oh, no. That's not, that's not a classic for me, Christopher. <laughs> How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Holes. <laughs> How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yes, I remember mom taking me to go see that movie in the theater. I, I went with her and her uh, her girlfriends to go see that. And I mean, then, uh, uh, what was that other one you just named? You said How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and what was the other one? Holes. The Last Holes. Samurai. Last Samurai is another good one. Yeah. X-Men 2. X-Men 2, yes, yes. Yeah, two thousand three was great. Yeah, some some classic movies uh, that came out then. Uh, some Absolutely. really good, some really good rewatchables. You could just do a a, a two thousand three movie podcast on just two thousand three and go, and go down the list. My God, oh, that would be a lot of fun. But these best picture nominees are all very good. But it's so funny. Like I, I look back on complaining that fellowship didn't win best picture and two towers didn't win. But then you get to this one and it's like, okay, we're not going to give it to you for the first two. We're going to kind of give you a victory lap after it's all done. And we're going to give you all the awards. And when I say all the awards, I mean, all of them, they, they won everything that was nominated for it's So well-deserved to me. It's the, the best movie to ever win Best Picture, or at least it's my favorite, I, I think, when I think Oscars and when I think the Academy Awards, my mind goes back to 2004 and watching this on TV and and just being lit whenever Lord of the Rings just kept winning everything. Like, my mind was blown because, you know, you look back and you think – Academy Awards, they still are. They still have a genre prejudice. They really do. Uh, they're getting better, and uh, and they're becoming more diverse as the, the voting body becomes more diverse, uh, which is a good thing. But when I think of the Academy Awards, I, I think of this. I think of this night and how much of an accomplishment this was because, again – even to this day, there is still some genre prejudice. And for the fact, the simple fact that all three of these films were nominated for the highest honor, and then it finally won the highest honor. That's, that's incredible for someone who loves genre film. 
Yeah, I say it's it definitely got the respect it deserved, kind of a victory lap, and um, I think you you know you look how much it grossed. I mean, it's obviously a, a popular film, and I think that's something that's a little different than the Academy Awards now tend to be. Um, it's not even films that were the most popular. It's like you have popular films and you have films that are made for awards and some, there's not a lot of overlap versus if you look at the, the nomination list, um, I mean, um, for, you know, for 2003, those are all movies that were pretty popular and, you know, a lot of people went and saw, and I guarantee you they were some of the highest grossing films of the year. Uh, you know, they're probably top 10 on that list. So, I think it's interesting, but you know, it's, I think it's a well deserved, well earned award. Yeah, the Academy Awards tend to do this thing now where they will nominate big films like Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture, uh, Joker got nominated for, for Best Picture. And both those films are billion dollar grossing movies and very, very great movies. Uh, but typically, it's just the nomination, it's never really the threat of winning. <laughs> Uh, I think this is really like the last billion dollar movie to to win Best Picture. I'm not entirely sure on that. Someone should fact check me. Let me know in the, in the comments. Um, but I'm pretty sure that this is the last movie that was a billion dollar grocer to to uh, to win Best Picture. I'm pretty sure. Speaking of billion dollars, it's the last fun fact we'll get into. This film grossed $1.146 billion at the worldwide box office, making it the highest grossing film of 2003. Uh, the top five that year were Return of the King, Finding Nemo, Matrix Reloaded, which is crazy. That's a, an R-rated film, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Bruce Almighty. Uh, that, is, that is a uh, a great list of movies right there. Yeah, so that's that's a good list. I mean, some classics. Um, yeah, between you know, obviously, uh, Finding Nemo is a classic Pixar movie. Yeah, The Matrix Loaded, which is okay. I mean, it's it's pretty decent. And then The Pirates of the Caribbean is another classic kind of um, um, movie that you know I remember a lot. It's super popular when it came out. Um, yeah, but even trying to go watch that movie was difficult. Yeah, we uh, we went to go see all these movies in theaters. We went to go see Return of the King. We saw that together. We went to go see Finding Nemo. That was like a matinee showing, if I remember correctly, on a, on a stormy summer day. Matrix Reloaded. I remember going to see that and dad giving us the option because mom was having a, a girls' night with our sisters and dad wanted to, wanted to kind of do the same with us. He wanted to have a boys' night with us. He's like, all right, we can go see X-Men 2. Or we can go see Matrix Reloaded. And I was like, Matrix Reloaded. Um, so we, we went to go see that together. Pirates of the Caribbean was one that it kept selling out. We just couldn't go see it. And finally, we, we were able to go see it. Bruce Almighty, similar situation. I went to go see that. I think opening weekend, I think Dad took us. And that was that was a lot of fun. So we got to see all these movies. And Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, that was... I remember... That theater was packed. We had to sit t- almost toward the back on like the side seats. Yeah, yeah, I remember doing that. Like we did not have the ideal seats. Like um, no, no. But still, well deserved. Uh, 
wins at the Academy Awards, um, the Oscars, and well-deserved box office gross for this movie. But before we get to our awards section, guys, we're going to take a quick break to let you hear an ad from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsor over here at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. We really appreciate that. But we're going to move on to our award section. And we're going to start off with favorite moments and scenes. So just like the past two weeks, if I did what I normally did, and I have as many as I want, this podcast would have been about four hours long. About as long as the movie. And we can't do that. So we have limited it to 10 scenes, five per person. And so I want to start off with the Isengard conversation. I said that weird. Isengard conversation. Um, and this is one that you listed, Chris. So what are your thoughts about this sequence? Yeah. Well, first, can, can we list a couple of the honorable mention things that are pretty cool? But we've already, you know, we talked about Fairmere Rides. I liked when Pippin's leaving, um, when Pippin climbs to like the beacon and of Amandine and mm-hmm. then the Fairmere and the Steward combo, which is something that's only in the extended edition. Those are all my honorable mentions, but this Isengard conversation uh, was one. And I didn't let, those are just honorable mentions stuff that you didn't already list on your list. Uh, so we, yes. and we had some overlap, but the Isengard conversation was something that was in the extended edition. And I really enjoyed it when I was watching it. Cause it was like, you know, you always uh, wondered, what happened to um uh sauron um you know like what happens to him and then they're like oh he has no power anymore um and you just think he's like locked up in that tower <laughs> and you're like okay. yeah they, it's a quick response of there's no power in him anymore the filth of saruman is washing away yeah and, and that's and, all you and, get and, the extended edition explains why it's washing away um yeah and so like he has these like pointed conversations with each of them he's talking you know he's kind of throwing shots at aragorn uh saying like oh this ranger from the north will never be king and it's really more of a conversation from him and um uh gandalf and he's saying i can't believe you put their faith in him and he's still trying to shake gandalf's faith and you know, it's very much a conversation between them two while throwing shade at everyone that um, that Gandalf has kind of put his trust in. And these people mm-hmm. um, that Gandalf has kind of prepared for this role as kind of the sage guide along their journey. And uh, I don't know. I just really enjoyed the conversation. I thought that it, it, it added some context to things you see later where, um, you know, you you start to see kind of um, little fractures and little plays on and insecurities um, that might be there from Aragorn's kind of rise and the jealousies that might be there to Aragorn uh, questioning himself. Um, I don't know. I thought it was just a great way to kind of start the film. And then it obviously it tied up the loose end because as you move through the scene, um, Gandalf, you know, breaks his um, his staff, his staff. Yep. and so then he has no power. And then Wormtongue just comes up. You know, he's he's talking bad about Rohan and just like how they're, you know, it, you, and you see uh, Sauron's um, 
you see the arrogance of that side and his thinking and thinking that if he got the front ring that he'd be the supreme ruler um and that you know he, you just see kind of the arrogance um and then you know him obviously literally getting stabbed in the back by worm tongue um several yeah. times and then um legolas kills worm tongue and then uh you know that that's the end of um Saruman, which he falls on a a, a stake, which is a a nice little throwback to him appearing as Dracula uh, several times. But in the extended edition, I find this to be more satisfying. It's like you were saying, like you get more context. The the theatrical version works, but but it deals with it so quickly and kind of brushes it aside. Um, the the ending conversation between Saruman is great, and it's a great end to his character too because it, it shows his his where he lacks, and the same for Grima too. You know, he wasn't always a bad person until until he was corrupted. Um, and we just see how much more powerful Gandalf is now compared to Saruman. Saruman has let that evil corruption to the point to where he's lost his power, and he's about to give away his plans. Uh, uh, give away the plans to Sauron, but is taken out by Grima, like you said. Then you know, Grima gets shot by Legolas, and then uh, Saruman falls onto the stake, and it's a nice nod again to to Dracula. But I just yeah. think this adds so much more context to the story, and also I I I feel like I must point out that the salted pork is particularly good. <laughs> yeah, say so like the the whole thing like it it adds like a nice context instead of kind of just like moving through this conversation again like of all the things to cut to me this is one thing that you know if I'm getting they like if I'm looking at both versions of the film this is something if I'm I'm cutting something out of this extended edition this is something I'm leaving in. Um, yeah. I think it makes a lot more sense. It makes parts of the movie make more sense. And because, um, you know, there's some things in extended editions, it's like, eh, you know, you can take it or leave it. This actually is really good. Um, and uh, Saruman, I think I kept calling him Sauron, uh, but Sau- Saruman, you see his arrogance, and I think it all plays out and uh, puts a nice little bow on his journey. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little cap off for him um elrond reforges the sword christopher you go ahead and you take this one again so this is uh arwen you know she decides not to go to the undying land she goes back um and she tells her dad lord elrond you know it's time to reforge the sword you know he you know she's still saying there's still hope there's still hope elrond has kind of been throwing a wet blanket on the hope the whole time <laughs> like he's, he really he's, has been like nah, i don't really believe <laughs> yeah. uh but uh obviously it's just kind of a cool scene and you start seeing like it's where like the journey's starting to pay off so i just thought thought it's a cool scene and then um it plays into the um the the next one uh, where he gives the the speech to Aragorn. It's the first time that you see Aragorn and Elrond. It, it feels like er, Elrond is actually maybe has a little faith that they could win in some respects. Now he is pretty negative still, uh, but you know he's like put aside the ranger, be who you were born to be, and you see Aragorn actually embrace his the leadership and embrace like 
uh, I'm going to have to go. And it, it actually asked him to leave, which is something he's not accustomed to doing. I mean, if you remember, like, he's like, I'm not leaving to sacrifice in the two towers. Like, he's he's no. going to lead in, by being in the front. And this time he has to leave in order to save them um, and go to the Undying Land. So I thought that was, you know, it's in both you know, some both, you know, versions of the film, but I thought it's, you know, it's a cool moment. Um, and it's the culmination of Aragorn's uh, journey. Yeah. It, like it starts off, you know, I like the scene because it just shows how Elrond, you kind of said he's being a wet blanket, but here I think he's starting to gain his faith in man once again, uh, just because I think he sees how much Erwin um, believes in Aragorn and that, faith that his daughter has is kind of going to him. You know, she's willing to leave a immortal life behind to become mortal, you know, for him. And then you get the next scene, which of course is put aside the ranger. And like I said, at the beginning this movie deals with a lot of things, but one of those things is certainly embracing responsibility and Aragorn, you know, has been neglecting that, this entire series because he fears he would succumb to the same fate of those before him. And, and over the course of this trilogy, we've seen him grow as a leader and in, you know, his confidence grow as more people grow to believe in him, you know, and we see it in the two towers, especially And this scene is him verbally deciding to take his place as King. I think there's been some, some foreshadowing, you know, especially at the end of, fellowship where he has that 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 conversation with uh Boamir. you know I, I i would have followed you you're my king you know my brother and in this one it's really him verbally like saying yes i will and i think elrond believing him in him as much as he does as much of a wet blanket as he's been and doing this action giving him the sword of a sealed door really sealed the deal and there's hope for the world and men. Yeah. And I mean, if you read the books or you kind of get into the backstory, Aragorn, um, if you watch the film, it kind of makes it off like he's just been hiding and shirking his uh, kind of responsibility. And part of it was that, but part of it, like he's been hunted ever since he was a kid because, um, you know, the dark forces basically knew if they killed him, that was the last hope of man. That if you, you stomp out that line, then that's it. And then it would lead to this infighting. Um, and a scramble to, okay, who's going to be on top of the throne that they'd never be able to unite because at the end of the day, regardless of Aragorn's lineage, that's still the respected line of the king. And so he has that inherent respect. But beyond that, like Aragorn, when he goes and he goes into hiding and he changes his name and he's, you know, running around with these rangers of the north, he learns all these skills, but... I think he also learns like the value of like working with people and building mm -hmm. these relationships and using them. Um, he uses this experience really to, to help make him a better person and a better leader. And I think that's part of the reason, um, you know, he's not corrupted by the ring. He lets Frodo go. Um, it's just cause he's a good person. And um, he, you know, he, his leadership skills grow throughout the film um, and you, you see, like, he instantly basically gets respect from, from most people and even people that are hesitant, um, to respect him over time, respect Begin him regardless, just cause he's, yeah. he's just a good person. 
Yeah, they begin to respect him. Because yeah. he leads through through action and not through through words. Uh, Battle of Midas Tirith. So this the Battle of Midas Tirith is really the Battle of Helm's Deep, but on steroids. Like it's it's if you break it down, it is really one fourth of the extended edition movie, and it's one third of the theatrically released film. And this battle is really, it's broken up into three parts. You you have the Gandalf part that starts it off with the prepare for battle sequence. And then you have Rohan part when they come in. And then you have the Aragorn part when he comes in with the army of the dead. Uh, so Chris, what are your thoughts on the battle of, of Midas Tirith? Yeah, you see, this is one I put on my list again. Um, I think just the whole battle, I mean, I could want make this half of the movie. Um, yeah. It's so good. And in the extended edition, the part that I really liked is, um, I feel like in the original, they kind of rush through some things. Like you see Grand, which is the wolf, like battering ram that they use to break in. Um, and so in the theatrical edition, if you don't know who the heck Grand is, you hear them cheering, Grand, Grand. And you're like, okay, is this the one of those that, you know, there's like a, a ton of these um, trolls. Is, is the leader troll Grand? Are they just called Grand? Who are they? And, but then when you watch this, you hear like, Grand is the name of the battering ram. Um, yeah. And so it adds context because they it, it wasn't like the orcs just were this supreme military force that just came in and were instantly winning. No, like they were able to kind of wheel them back because they kept trying to ram the door and they were unsuccessful and they were getting killed. You see piles of orcs, like yeah. you know, hundreds of them are getting killed because the archers are just mowing them down. And so they're like, okay, we're going to get Grand in here and that's how we're going to get in. Um, yeah, it's just so the sheer number of, of, of them is what's able to overpower. Yeah. Yeah, and so that that makes it makes more military sense, even uh, because you're like, okay, you know, they have this huge force, but you know, it's going to take a while and a siege to be able to come in and and and, and get through the gates. So, um, and to be able to do it so effectively, especially with them, um, you know, with especially with Gundor having you know, catapults and stuff like that, it just wouldn't make sense for them to be able to go in. Um, and so the extended edition makes it make more sense because you see, okay, well, not only do they have an overwhelming force, but they also have some superior technology um, with the Grand and some other, you know, obviously the catapults. Energy. They're yeah. flinging the 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 heads. Like this is what surprises me that this is a PG thirteen movie. They fling like the the heads of the the fallen soldiers at them. It's like, dang, this movie got dark. It's very violent. Yeah, that's um, like psychological type warfare of like just feeding on, and, and that's a huge, um, you know, three line here. Like you can, sm- they can smell the fear, they can feel the fear, um, yeah. and so they're thriving on that fear versus the courage. Um, uh, you know, and then Gandalf. I know that was part that you. Um, you know, when he talks about death, you know, as the battle um, is starting, but that's, I, I loved the part where, you know, Gandalf kind of comes in, and again, this is why, I mean, I know we'll get the MVP later, I mean, I feel like Gandalf has to be mentioned 
I mean, because he's really the MVP throughout the film as he's the wide sage and he's the one that kind of creates the team. He's like the GM and he's drafting all these players that have their roles, um, you know, but he's um, he's kind of the leader. He's the coach, um, you know, and he's he's you know, and who's who, you know, you have the players that win the games, but you also have the coach that's coaching them through. Um, Is he the all. Phil Jackson of Lord of the Rings? I would say, I mean, Bill Belichick, Phil Jackson, you know, uh, you know, I would say. Uh, I know, feel like he, he's more Phil Jackson because he has the Zen. Uh, Bill Belichick does not have Zen. He just has, he has that, he has that, that, that stone cold look on his face always. I think I've only seen that man smile like once or twice when they win the Super Bowl. I think he can be kind of funny though. Uh, or yeah, like, can. like a Nick Saban type, like he's getting the players in there. They have their roles. He's been cultivating these relationships for years in preparation because he knew this was coming. He had a feeling this was coming. Um, and so you see, he's the one that rallies when they get scared at the start of the battle and they're retreating because the steward's an idiot. Um, and he's like, flee for your lives. Just run, you know, just, have, you know, and they're all knocks running. him out with his cane. Yeah. Prepare for battle. Yeah, and then he they immediately just charge because he's that he's as you know as as important of a leader as anybody in the film, um, yeah. and so he he helps turn the tide and and help them he helps them hang on um, until help can arrive. So yeah. I mean that's just a, a crazy good start, and I know that kind of leads into your your next big moment. Well, it's the thing that stands out to me about the Battle of Ministereth, and there's a lot, but this part in particular, the Gandalf part, is the part where he is just going ham with his sword and his staff at, at the top. Because at this point, we, we've seen him battle and stuff like that, but this one, when you see it up close, it's it's really, really cool. And this kind of goes into the next sequence. Uh, it's the Rohan arrives to the Battle of Ministereth. And the red sun rises. Like it's just chills every time. Uh, it makes me. I was I was picking on it a little bit earlier, but in all honesty, this sequence makes me want to charge right through a brick wall. Like it, it's so awesome and epic, and then just all the soldiers shouting "Death!" It's oh, it's so awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like- that and that was the the next thing that I put in mind was um, the Rohan arrives like that is like an epic you know he has a great speech and uh, to me it's um, you know his his probably peak moment um, you know and uh, you know you, you have the king of um, Rohan coming in and you know he's he's throwing like 140 miles an hour king uh, theoden is is he's he is unleashed this is his yeah. this is his crowning moment and you can tell this is like you know he's been preparing for this he's been wanting to live up to like he, he talks a lot about like legacy and what he leaves behind and being like wanting to be honorable and i think he feels a lot of guilt for you know basically being comatose there for a period of time and the influence um, and, and kind of the situation that Rohan uh, found itself in, in the two towers and uh, because of his weakness. And then I think even um, afterwards he feels guilt because um, Aragorn was the one that led them to victory, not him. And so I think Theoden, when he comes in, like he's trying to make up for that 
in a yeah. lot of senses, and I mean, he and he does. I mean, he they go in and they drive the army back. Um, they're winning, um, you know, and even I guess the elephants and um, you know they're they're pretty successful. That um, that scene is with the uh, elephants come in, and it's because it's so hopeful, and they come and they win, and all of a sudden you see these huge ass elephants come in. And these scary people on the top of them just operating these horns and just decimating that entire army. But they're still putting up a fight. King Theoden goes toe-to-toe with a uh, Nazgul. And then, of course... At that point, I feel like the Nazgul come in because they're they're on the verge of losing. They got them on the ropes. And the Nazgul targets Theoden because, like... At that point, like Theoden has be, is be, is so effective as a military leader because he's taking they're taking down the Oliphants. Like he's like take it down, take it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's such an awesome scene, and um, you know they take it down, and you see like they're turning the tide. They're 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 holding their own, um, and then you know the Nazgul have to come in and you know take Theoden out, um, which, which you know, Arwen or is it Eowyn? It's Eowyn. Eowyn comes in. That scene is awesome. We don't have it listed, but we should at least talk about it for like half a second. Eowyn coming in and and taking out uh, the uh, the Witch King. And oh, yeah. I mean, that's it's so awesome. awesome line. I am no man. <laughs> Stabs him right in the face. So freaking awesome. Yeah, and um, I mean, Mary. You know, talk about a um a, a great turnaround. You know, he grows up a lot, and he's you know super courageous. He's a huge part of their battle. You know, he um yeah he saves Eowyn and Theoden um, himself. You know, he's he's involved in that. And you know, you go from the first movie where he's like a total liability. Um, yeah, he, both him and Mary and Pippin are both total li- liabilities. Like, those two are the last people you want in your corner to like. Oh crap! You know, like he bailed her out there. Um, you know, and he's basically good for nothing. That gets picked up at the end of the first movie. Like the works are just carrying him off, and he's like a helpless child to like. You know, like no, he's like going toe to toe with the Witch King, like trying to stab him in the back, and then. Um, he does and gets his arm burned and singed by the evil i guess and there there's a lot of good moments in there and that one in particular uh eowyn versus uh versus the witch king is is a scene that it i mean it, it pretty much is in the rohan arrives at the battle um but yeah that, that's probably i think the thing that stands out to me the most about it is that that portion in particular because it's it's just awesome to see Eowyn who has been denied time and time again her right to fight for her people but because uh, of the fact that she's she's a woman uh, and her taking charge and taking down the the person that is leading the charge and getting to see that come to fruition is it's it's very very cool but this kind of leads into the scene in which they are Gandalf's battle has has kind of 
ended. He he needs to be saved at this portion, and they're they're waiting behind the gates. And Pippin is obviously scared of, of death. They know what waits behind that door that's about to come in. And this is really what the movie is all about. It's about death. But as I talked about earlier, it, it doesn't view death as the end, but just the next step in this beautiful, weird thing called life. And Gandalf's description of the sequence is, uh, or of death, is is very, it's very poignant and it, it's very moving. And it, it really is... It's beautiful, and th- this scene me- means a lot to me. I could quote the entire thing, but it, it wouldn't do me or this scene any justice. Uh, Sir Ian McKellen does it better than anyone could. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Gandalf has the most profound kind of moments and speeches, which, I mean, that's just the way the story is. He, again, he's the wise, like, sage um, that's kind of coaching all the heroes through their journey. Um, at random times, you know, you see him do that a lot with Frodo at the beginning, um, and somewhat with Sam and Aragorn, and then throughout the movie, he's doing it to other characters, um, and um, you could see his, uh, you know, his words obviously have a, a huge impact on the characters and what he he says and thinks because you know he has these conversations, these deep conversations with them. Um, and over time, you know, he, you know, a lot, they change and they become more courageous, more selfless, and uh, they become better leaders and heroes because of um, the conversations and the mentorship that he has with them. Yeah, completely. It's those wise words that he's done it several times in, in, in the movies, but I think, I think Sam has the big speech moment in, in Two Towers but Gandalf has it in fellowship when he's talking to Frodo about empathy and about, you know, what you said earlier about doing what you can to make a difference with the life that you've been given. And here it's another moment that he has talking about death and it not being, you know, this thing that we should be scared of, but just this next journey. And to face it head on, you know. Uh, And this next sequence, this is quite simply my favorite scene in in all of movies. It is the I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you sequence. You know, Sam has come so far since we first met him. Frodo and Sam in particular at this point in juncture in the movie are just a wreck. With Frodo now unable to even carry himself with the ring becoming heavier and heavier and even having like those rashes around his neck to where it feels like the it's, it's gotten tighter on him. And I think that's a great visual representation, but this entire movie is really Sam stepping up to the plate to help carry the burden. And to me, I've always read this, this sequence as you can't fix someone's problems. You can only, only those people can, can fix them for themselves, but you can help them. And to always be willing to be a helping hand to those in need and for those who want to soldier on but can't. You know, this is something I've carried with me my entire life. You know, be selfless. 
for people who need you to be and for people who can't help themselves. This scene means so much to me personally, and every time I see it, I, I can't help but burst into tears every time I watch it. It's just, again, it's like a Pavlovian response of just chills and everything. It, it, this movie, compl- or this scene in this movie completely encapsulates like everything that's important to me in life. And that's why I, uh, spoiling it, but this is my favorite scene in the movie. I mean, it is my favorite scene in any movie ever made. So there you go. Like, I just, I think this scene is, it's, it's incredible. And it, it gives me chills, especially when the, that the score comes in with the, uh, um, into the West theme. It's, it's, it's powerful, man. Yeah. I say it's, it's a really good, um, really good scene. I mean, you can, uh, you know, the, the emotional response you get when you watch it, you know, and you can feel, um, how much, uh, Sam cares for Frodo and, um, how, you know, he wants to help him out, uh, in whatever way he can. And he knows he's not capable of carrying the ring. Um, but, you know, he can carry Frodo to help him out and help ease the burden. Um, and again, the movie's a lot about sacrifice, and you know these two are having to make this huge sacrifice that um, you see throughout the time that Frodo's lost hope, but Sam's the the one that's hopeful throughout, and he's the positive force. Like, oh, you know, we got a plan. You know, we got to make sure we have enough food to get back. And then at this point, they both kind of know they're going to their doom, and there's mm-hmm. not much hope of them them making it out alive. Um, so this is all just about doing it for others and the, uh, kind of being a you know selfless person uh, for the the good of everyone else. Yeah, it's words to to live by, or actions to live by, in my opinion. That this scene it really exemplifies that perfectly. Uh, the next sequence is for Frodo. So this is a small moment, and it's right after the I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you moment. And we've seen Aragorn this entire trilogy not wanting the throne, but to see him here leading the charge at the battle for Middle-earth on the hope that Frodo is there, it's so emotionally impactful. And I get chills every time he just steps forward and, and looks at the eye and then looks back. And he has tears in his eyes and he goes for Frodo. And then you just see him leading the charge and right behind him is Merry and Pippin. And it's, it's so awesome because they are fighting for their friends, you know, which is the emotional tie. They're, They're fighting for something. And it's very, very emotionally impactful. It's a small moment, but it's very emotionally impactful. Yeah, well, and I think it ties in with the other moment where, you know, you see Sam doing that. But I think this is, you know, then like this is probably, you know, with the sheer number of force, like if, if Frodo needs an hour to get up the mountain, by then all of them may be dead. And this is oh, yeah. like, listen, this is we're doing this just to give Frodo time. Um, and this is really just for everyone else. And this, again, it's just a selfless act to try to. Um, give Frodo time and because this is you know Frodo is basically the Hail Mary attempt at, at um, 
you know, staying in the game and, and winning um, versus, the, you know, all the dark forces they're, they're fighting against. So, um, and, and that's really the whole goal of this is just to give him, you know, more opportunity for that. Yeah. And it's, that's what it's all about. And that's why I think it was a, a stroke of genius for Peter Jackson to look at Aragorn fighting uh, a, a physical manifestation of uh, Sauron and going, no, this takes away from the importance of what Frodo and Sam are doing. Let's make this more personal. Let's make this more intimate. And it's just weird saying it involving a battle, but it does. It makes Frodo and, and Sam's story, it puts that at the forefront, as it should be, you know. And and it's just about Aragorn and the people of Middle-earth buying time for Frodo. And the sheer number, I mean, they're wrapping around them. You know, it's like coming at them from all angles. So it's a very, very impactful sequence. Uh, next one is... My friends, you bow to no one. And again, another like can't help but cry moment. You see the king of men bowing down to Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin, proclaiming that they bow to no one. And it's such an act of nobility and humbleness. I, I can't help but choke up at it. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great movement or moment because you see there at the beginning they're kind of jokes and um, even throughout the whole movie they're like all oh, their burdens. No one can bear you guys as a burden. Um, and you know, in the end, you know, it was the the most humble of you know all the the beings in the movie that you know saved everyone else. So um, it's a good moment. Absolutely. Leaving for the Undying Lands. Again, I've said it like for pretty much every scene, but this scene really gets me. You know, it's it's much like the entire end of this movie, you know. It's really about passing on to the next chapter and leaving those who got you uh who who you got to know along the way behind in order to move on. You know, something we all must do at, at, at some point in our lives. You know, we, we have to move forward and leave those those things behind or those people behind. And I don't necessarily view this as him going to his death, even though it, it kind of is. He's going to the undying lands. But it, it's him. The moment that gets me is when he's he's he hasn't told anyone yet that he knows this is where he's going. And finally, Gandalf turns around and says, Frodo, come with me. And then all Merry and Pippin and, and, and Sam are all crying, and he's giving them all hugs and everything. And you hear the the uh, Into the West theme kind of playing in the background. It's, it's very emotionally moving. And again, it's a lot of Lord of the Rings. It's a coming-of-age tale, and this is about entering into adulthood and, and leaving things behind. It's it's very moving. Yeah, I say it's it's a great um yeah, that that part of the, the ending was very good for me. Um and we'll talk about yeah, you know, some of the dislikes and I, I think some of the ending, even as satisfying as the movie was, I like that part, but I mean we've already talked about with Kate Blanchett with the voiceover. I think mm -hmm. the ending draws on 
in the extended edition and even the theatrical, you have like almost 30 minutes of like wrapping up this story. And it's like, well, I feel like every, everyone's kind of coalesced and there's a, a better way to end it more efficiently um, while still making it satisfying. And so, um, but yeah, I really like the part where you see them going off because you, you kind of wonder, like you can tell Frodo's kind of miserable after the whole experience. Um, and yeah. Yeah, he's been kind of changed and he's not really sure where he fits in anymore. Um, it's the same way um, Gilmy kind of, uh, or not Gilmy, um, Bilbo uh, kind of felt after his journey. And, you know, he doesn't feel like he belongs in the Shire anymore versus the other three kind of fold back into their lives. Frodo is still kind of living this halfway existence where he kind of is involved, but then kind of not. And so this kind of gives him that, that opportunity to go off and go on an adventure and change and go to a different adventure based off the sacrifice because of how bearing the ring changed him. Yeah. It changed him completely and he can't really, that's the ultimate sadness of it is he can't live a normal life anymore after that. So he has to, to move on to, to the undying lands out of all these sequences, Christopher, which one is your is your favorite? I know I've already given mine with being I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. So, Chris, which one is your is your favorite? I would say just the Battle of Minas Tirith, that whole sequence. Uh, I mean, like um, where we talked about like basically four, five, and six uh, of the moments we talked about because it's kind of all one sequence and not just part of the film and the lack of hope, but then the, the positivity within the darkness, um, I think is my favorite. What about you? I mean, yeah, I, I, that moment, man, the, I can't carry it for you, but I can't carry you. Like it, it's, it it gives me like the, the pre tears, you know what I mean? Just talking about it, you get the lump in your throat and, and everything like that. Just talking about it makes me like that. Like it, it is an incredibly, moving scene because there's not a lot of words share i mean there are you you hear you know sam trying to to give frodo hope of you know it's almost springtime you know the strawberries and cream the first batch of strawberries and cream he's like i can't recall the the taste of strawberries and cream and he's just talking about how dark it is and everything like that. And he said, they'll let us be rid of it once and for all, you know, and I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And it's, it's again, it's emotionally moving. And I think it's actions to live by. And, and that's why it, it means so much to me. But moving on to worst scenes and moments, I don't have one really like i think this movie's perfect but if i were to to nitpick a bit it's not really a bad scene but i do think they go on the the scene when they go to those who dwell on the mountain that it goes on a bit too long in the extended edition the stuff with gimli it's funny but again it's it's not bad but it just should be noted it goes on a little too long yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I liked that. I liked seeing them, like, because in the theatrical, they're like, oh, decide, choose, choose. And then you're kind of left, and then you see them show up. 
I liked this version where you see them. You see, you know, you. I mean, I guess you could cut out the part where they're, you know, walking on the skulls or whatever, because maybe you already kind of feel like, okay, this is definitely a creepy place. So you could take that yeah. part out. But I like them showing up. You see them burning the, the villages along the way. So I think it makes you see the world. Like, because I think when you look at the theatrical editions, it makes you feel like there's Minas Tirith and there's Rohan and then there's Helm's Deep and then there's some other areas but then you see okay obviously they're still attacking these other areas along the way these pirates and they're going to Minas Tirith um so I think you know it, it to me it builds the world up and then you see them say yeah we're coming um so it's pretty cool I like that um again my pick would just still be I think change up the ending I think you obviously still include the Silent Hill Undying Lands and things like that that are really good um, but I think how long it went on and then like you see them all, you know, join up back together. Um, to me, the, if I had to restructure it, I would say, okay, like you, you see that the fellowship of the rings back together when Frodo wakes up, you see them all gather and then you have Kate Blanchett's voiceover come in and you see them going back to their, their areas. And then. Um, and you could do a quick Sam getting married to what's her face and them just kind of living their life. And then you see Legolas, uh, Legolas, Gilmy, Aragorn. Um, you obviously already know what Aragorn's up to, but Gilmy and Legolas don't really have that kind of ending and you don't really know where they're coming from. Uh, and their ending's kind of that scene with the end, the, the wedding. Yeah, and then I think, you, and then you, you know, you end it with them selling to the Undying Lands, um, and then that's it. Um, and I think you could do that in a way where it's ten minutes long um, versus forty-five minutes. You know, because when I got in the extended edition, I got to it was like three hours and thirty minutes, and then I was like, okay, there's another hour in the. <laughs> there's another hour. What is this? <laughs> and that's how I felt. I was like, man, Aragorn, and that was the scene like you bowed to no one. There's still an hour left in the film. Now, fifteen minutes of it were credits, but still, it's like there's forty five minutes left in this film. Well, we we should talk about this. So, <clears throat> my feelings are I I don't share the same feelings as you, but we should talk about the um, the fact that when we saw this in theaters. You and I saw people get up and leave during some of these endings because I thought the movie was over. Yeah, and that's where you start thinking about that. It's like if people, if if the movie feels so done that people are getting up, your ending <laughs> might not have the hit that you're you're wanting it to have. It might need it might need something else, and that's what I think. Um, that's where the Kate Blanchett, the fun facts thing that you brought up earlier really intrigued me. Cause I feel like it was weird. Cause I remember seeing it and being like, all right, do I need to call dad? You know, do I need to <laughs> movie's done? like, you know, like, and people are getting up and, yeah. and I remember me and you kind of looking at each other like, okay, is this it? Like, do we need to yeah, we looked at each other like, this is over. And then we kind of got up a little bit. It was like that where you're almost getting up, you're putting your hands on like the, the sides and then all of a sudden it goes back and you see uh, the Eagles coming down to get Frodo and Sam. Okay. It's not over. Let's sit down. Like <laughs> there's still more to this. Yeah. I say, and then it pans out again. It's just like, it just keeps kind of going on and it's like, okay, 
you need 45 minutes. And then I understand it's the extended edition, but even the regular version, it's like 30 minutes. So it's like, do you need 30 minutes to tell that? Do you? Could you do I it? like it. Again, I, I, I like it. I, I, it's the reason I, I love this, but, but still, I, 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 I get it, you know. I, I get people not not it not jiving well with with people. I do. I get it. Yeah. Moving on to best performance, this is a shoe in. This is easy for me at Sean Astin. Uh, this is his movie where he steps up to the plate and and really really owns the character of Samwise Gamgee and is the unsung hero of of this trilogy uh, of this trilogy and really he's the hero of this movie you think about all frodo had to overcome especially with 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 Gollum being sneaked and, and and whatnot you know all right i'm gonna zag i mean i think gandalf is another shoe in but Gollum to me circus <laughs> is the funniest freaking performance, the most unintentional comedy. So little backstory, Ben and I were discussing everything before the pod. And he was like, can you name your, your five moments? And, um, I, I being the person that I am decided to send him only Smeagol and Gollum moments. <laughs> and I'm like the one with Gollum, uh, Gollum killing the dude at the beginning, the one with Gollum taking himself, uh, talking to himself, revealing his true plans. When Gollum admits he is sneaking. When Gollum lures Frodo into the cave. When Gollum bites Frodo's finger off. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny, like every time, and this is another dislike, and I thought it would be kind of funny. Um, you know, when they're in the cave and they're about to, you know, Gollum being the true hero of the film decides that he's not going to trust gravity to take the ring into the fire form. He just dives down there with it, saving everyone. <laughs> you know, well, he dives in to like go after it to sit, to like protect it. And even to the point to where like at the end, when he falls into the lava, he's like holding it as he's going down, like, Oh, I finally won. Then he hits the lava and it's like that. Oh shit. Moment happens. Like, Oh, I'm going to die. And his eyes get bigger than they are. And like, He's holding the ring up as he's going down, trying to the last moment to save it. Like, it, it is. It, I mean, he does take the the ring to the to the lava, but it's not it's not the real reason you think it is. Yeah, he. It's so uh, the unintentional comedy, but then there at the end, I, it is something I notice every time I watch it. So you know. Uh, Fred is hanging off the side at that point. Sam comes up. Well, then he tries to grab Fredo's hand and makes this squishy noise. And I can't ever, it's like so like cringy. Oh, um, could you not grab me with that hand? The other one, please. Thank you. You know, you hear it and it's just awful. Cause you think like, ugh. <laughs> you know, well, think about how bad his hand. Cause listen, as someone who has injured their hands, that has to hurt bad. Yeah, like well, getting yeah. your your finger straight up bitten off. You need a tetanus shot, especially after Gollum has bitten your yeah, your yeah, hand with the amount of diseases that thing raw f- the amount of raw fish that guy eats. Well, 
And you would but, think he'd have more you know, meat on his bones, he didn't, you know, with the protein intake. I guess not. <laughs> no, no, he's. But I think it's I, Andy look, Serkis you're, you, the sneaking. Like it's just so funny. <laughs> well, again, we we talked about it a little bit last week. Andy Circus was my favorite performance for the Two Towers. He is so incredible in that movie. He's incredible in this movie too, but the duality of having those unintentionally funny moments and then having those real moments where I feel so bad for him. I feel so empathetic towards him because a lot of this, the ring, the only person it doesn't tempt is, is Frodo. And it even, he fails at the end, you know, it it's, he puts the, the ring on and, you see to see someone succumb to it to the level that he did it's it's pitiful but again juxtaposed to the insanely funny moments that Gollum has like the oh it's sticky what is it yes like it's like yeah yes and oh yeah it it, it's it's oh god it's it's there's so many funny moments and i i think my favorite in this one is not the sneaking part it's the part where he throws the rock at his sam throws the rock at his head and then he goes and hides behind the tree and he goes ah like just scream (laughs) <laughs> no, the, sne- the sneaking's still the funniest part to me because it's like he's defending himself and he's like, you know, oh, stupid fat herbits is always accusing. And he's like making Sam feel like an idiot. And you can see Sam's kind of like, oh my gosh, this this guy, this dude. Yeah. And then finally he's like, so what were you doing then? Sneaking. <laughs> he's, so he's, he's such a dick. Gollum is such a dick. <laughs> it's like you just spent like 15 minutes defending yourself and then it's like yeah i was doing exactly what you think i was doing yeah it's just you just see sam's just like oh my god sam's biggest burden is having to put up with gollum yeah i know right (laughs) that's the true test um so for for your best performance you have andy circus for me i have sean astin um does this make sense award this movie out of all of them has the least does this make sense because the story and fellowship and in towers has done such a good job of establishing this universe that i had no questions coming in or out of this one the only thing i've ever heard people talk about is does arwen become mortal and yeah, she does. It's 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 pretty clear she becomes mortal at the uh, at the end of this movie because she decides to stay back, and the light of her star it faded. So she is now living a mortal life with the man she loves, and of course they have children and everything like that, um, as seen in the visions. I don't. I haven't read the books. So I, I I don't I don't know how many children that they have, but. I do know that they have the one according to the movie, so that's pretty cool. But that's all I have for the does this make sense. So, and it makes sense, so does this make sense stays vacated in my opinion. Um, 
What do you think? Is there anything in this that doesn't make sense to you? I mean, not really. No, I think everything pretty much ties up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of anything that's like, oh, really? You know, it doesn't make sense. No, like I, I, I think pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. MVP of the movie. That's Sam for me, man. It's Sam. He is. I teased that a little bit last week. But he really is the MVP of this entire trilogy. He really is the hero of the story. Yes, Frodo is the one that that bears the ring, is the only one that can. But he is able to do so because he has a best friend and helper and Sam, like Sam, beside him, helping him along the way and helping him overcome all these obstacles. Like, Think about where Frodo would be if he didn't have Sam, he'd be eaten in uh, Shelob's cave. Like he'd be gone. You know, if not before, then Gollum might have killed him. Yeah. Well, let me give you my two MVPs. So maybe this is a three-way tie. I don't know. Gandalf is obvious. You know, he's he's the mentor. He's the sage. He rallies people. He puts the team together. I mean, to a certain extent, he picks, you know, Frodo to carry the ring, and all. And so he sees all the potential. So to me, like, he orchestrates the whole thing, and so for me, he might be the MVP. Um, but Zag here, Gollum, <laughs> he's the dark horse candidate because without him, do they even make it to Mordor? No. It's pretty well established in the two towers that they're wandering around and lost as crap before Gollum shows up and shows them the way. Um, uh, you know, and him and you know, Smeagol and the dual personalities that they have with you know Smeagol kind of being the innocent Dundering one and Gollum's kind of the evil um, side. Uh, but you know, they you know, Smeagol, I guess you could say, is is the MVP. He takes them. You know, they get to Mordor. Um, you know, now does he try to kill them along the way? Sure. But yeah, several uh, times, but, uh, now here's the other part of it too. You know, I don't think Sam, let's say if, if Gollum's not there and he doesn't bite Frodo's finger off, Sam's not going to turn against Frodo. Sam's basically just going to let Frodo walk out. I I think at that point it's kind of like what happened with Elrond, um, well, if you notice, he's he's looking at his footsteps when he's walking. So I think if he tries to get past him, I do think that Sam's going to catch him. Yeah. But um, yeah, so then what happens there? Does Sam tackle him and then they just fall to their death? But I mean, Gollum's the one. He bites it, uh, bites Frodo's finger off, gets the ring off Frodo. And then, like I said, precious, precious, <laughs> jumping up and down saying precious. <laughs> And then he, so then, he yeah, Frodo, Frodo goes, tackles him off the, yeah. Frodo um, tackles him off the the ledge. I mean, you know, if I had to make a basketball analogy, Sam's like the steady, like he's putting up a a, a thirty ten and ten. You know, he's the 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 candidate. You know, Gandalf's the one that's won MVP you know, three years back. So the voters are kind of tired of him, but he has like the same stats, if not better stats than uh, Sam. And then Gollum comes in 
in the two towers <laughs> in this one and is averaging like a 45, 15 and 15. And you're just like, but he also got suspended, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he also got suspended several times for murder. <laughs> <laughs> Had some murder charges against him. He's kind of a shady character. We yeah, don't know how we feel about him. Using some PEDs, you know, some, some shady stuff's going on. So you're not really sure, yeah. but, um, I think, you know, Sam, obviously, he's, you know, a great character. I think he's fine. He's the obvious answer. Gollum is like the the dark horse answer. And you do make a, a good argument. Uh, I, I still lean lean more towards Sam because how, how much he helps Frodo carry the burden along the way, uh, emotionally and mentally. And Gollum, although Frodo seems to find a kindred spirit in Smeagol, Gollum, who is the pretty much the ring personified, is such a distraction and such a wild card to their journey. It, it while Smeagol helps them, Gollum kind of hinders them, and it, it takes away from from Gollum's or Smeagol's impact overall. But you do make a very strong argument. Well, but thank you, sir. I mean, I still think Gandalf is probably the most important person, but Sam's definitely the MVP of this film. Yeah. So at the end of the day, why would you recommend this movie besides what we've already talked about? Um, I think, you know, I recommend the whole movie series. Um, I think it, especially this more so than the Hobbit, no, no offense to the Hobbit trilogy, but I think this, um, you know, it gets a lot into human nature, jealousy, um, lies, you know, the consequences of actions, I think is a very important lesson to learn, especially um, when you're younger and sometimes choosing the short row or short way or trying to think, you know, if you do X, Y, or Z, it'll lead, lead to more power, more influence or whatever. There's consequences for that. Um, versus being patient versus, you know, having friends and, and, and building good relationships and uh, the return on your life, what that would be. I think the just the key messages, you know, about life, about death, about, um, you know, not, you know, when you see hard times because, um, you know, you're going to see them, you know, understanding that that's just part of life and that's just part of the journey of life. Um, and I think just the messages in Lord of the Rings are what makes it timeless. Um, and for me, that's the reason, you know, if you want to see, you know, if, if you're in it, you know, you're not interested in, in sitting down for three hours, then yeah, it might not be the movie for you. But if you want something that's a little bit deeper, uh, especially upon, you know, watching it, you know, once or twice, if you're if you're thinking about those things or Quite frankly, if you watch it several times and you start to see the messages behind it, I think it has really good messages. Um, and, you know, if you're in kind of a rut or, you know, in a dark place or in a downtime, I think sometimes the messages in it and the hope that it gives you can help you press forward. Yeah, and that's really what I've connected with on these rewatches is, again, that pessimistically optimistic. You know, you're facing – it doesn't shy away – from the seriousness of the situation that they're facing. It doesn't add in, you know, needless ways of trying to be levity. It's naturally um, 
got levity in it because of the interactions between the characters, especially like Legolas and Gilmy and stuff like Gimli and stuff like that. But it's that serious nature and the way that it attacks it head on, but it attacks it not with it being dour, but with hopefulness and, and courage and those lessons that you learn through, through uh, watching it, you know, it's, it's really, it's a coming of age tale and it, it carries with it messages and themes that really in consequence that really resonate with me, the older I get and knowing how much this movie shaped me and the, this trilogy really shaped me growing up. And I didn't even really realize it until I'm a a 27 year old man doing a deep dive on a podcast about it and realizing, okay, this is why I resonate with these types of stories is because of the impact that Lord of the Rings had on me. And if you are into fantasy and epic battles, this has it. But if you're also more into the themes and 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 learning these life lessons like I am, then there's no better trilogy, really. Um, I don't count Star Wars as a trilogy. I count it as a saga. You know, it, it, when people ask me what's the greatest trilogy of all time, that's why I leave out Star Wars films because they're not trilogies. They're it's it's they're told in trilogies, but it's a saga of films. This to me is is a true trilogy. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end, and I think this is probably the greatest trilogy ever made. I, I really, really do. I think it's so consistent. I think it's so great, and again, has important messages that are very, very impactful, even as Sam would say, you're too little to understand. And and that's why I think Lord of the Rings is as great as it is. So if you've listened to me break down Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and Return of the King down on these this podcast series, uh, and you haven't seen these movies, please do yourself a favor, watch them. They're, they're great movies to watch as I stated on the fellowship of the ring this time of year that, you know, it's not quite Christmas. It's not quite, it's no longer like October. It's the perfect time of year. I always watch them around November. So that, that's why I would, I would recommend this movie, but that is it for this week's show. And it wraps up our series on Lord of the Rings. Chris, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Again, you are the Sam to my Frodo, so I felt like it would be very, very fitting to end it on uh, on this uh, w- on this this episode with you. So, thanks well, for joining me. Man. Man. Thanks for having me on. It was fun uh, watching the movie and talking about it with you. Of course, man. I'll be back next week um for the one for me series where i dive into a standalone movie to discuss before i tackle our new series there's a poll up as i'm typing that or as we're recording this podcast uh that's up for the next series i'll i'll tackle it's either going to be home alone or the matrix and it seems that home alone is running away with that victory so that looks like the next series i'll tackle after my one for me But until then, be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, rate us, and while you're at it, give me a follow over on Instagram and TikTok at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest content I have for you guys. Anyways, 
Till next time, stay classy. Thank you.